You're listening to Compassion Church Dixon Podcast. I'll start my sermon with this because we're continuing a series called Unlock. Today we're going to be talking about unlocking revival in our life. How can we be God's vessels to lead a lost world to Christ if we ourselves are not spiritually stirred up? If we're not on fire for God, if we're not experiencing a move of God on the inside of us, If you can sit in a movie theater and hear GD multiple times and, you know, whatever, but if you can do that and it does nothing on the inside of you, if something doesn't shift on the inside of you that causes you to at least want to walk out of the room, come on. Because sometimes the movie movie may be a little bit too good to walk out of the room. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? But, but if something doesn't jump in your spirit to know that that's not right, you need revival in your life. Amen. And what we need to be saying is, Lord, send revival. Yes. This should be our prayer. Lord, send revival and let it begin with me. Amen. Whatever you want to do, let it begin with me. But here's the truth. The level that we know God, the level that we understand God, the level that we experience God is going to be based on the level of expectation that we have of God. If you need healing in your body, but you don't think God can heal, you're not going to get healing in your body. Or you may get healing in your body from God just to show you that he can heal. Amen. Amen? If you want God to do something drastic in your life and you expect God to do something drastic in your life, he may expect you to live holy before he does it. That's another message that ain't preached too much in the pulpits (laughs) in America today. But the truth is, God is the God of our expectations. He's going to meet us where we're at. He is a perfect gentleman. We've seen that on the banks of the shore when Peter and Jesus had a discussion, and Jesus said, do you love me? Do you, do you agape me? He said, I phileo you. I love you. He was saying that he loved you, but he didn't love Jesus the way that Jesus loved him. The last time that Jesus asked him, do you love me? He actually said this. He said, do you phileo me? And he said, yes, Jesus, I phileo you. And here's what that signifies to me. Jesus will always meet us on our level of expectation. But here's what we must understand. Nothing is impossible to God. Our expectations only do one thing. It sets the limits on our life, especially spiritual limits. I call it the law of the lid. There's a man by the name of John Maxwell. He wrote a leadership book. It's called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Great book. If you like leadership, go read it. But one of them is the law of the lid. In other words, if you put a grasshopper in a mason jar and put the lid on it, it doesn't matter the potential that that grasshopper has. It can only jump and hit its head on the lid. Some of us, what we have done is we have put Jesus in a mason jar and we have put the lid on it and Jesus can only do so much in our life. I am asking this congregation today. Would you please take the lid off of your life spiritually so God can do whatever he wants you to do? Whatever he wants to do, let him do it. Because if we expect a little from God, we're going to get a little from God. But if we expect a lot from God, we should expect a lot to God from God. You should expect favor on your life. 
You should expect favor on your life. You should expect healing in your body. And I preached a sermon a few weeks ago, and here's pretty much what I said. I'm going to believe God for my healing, but if I don't get it until I split the heavens wide open, praise God, I'm still going to believe for healing. I'm going to expect God to work miracles in my life. I'm going to expect revival. I'm not going to sit back and just go, well, I wonder if revival will happen in the lives of all of the congregational people that attend our church. I wonder, I, I wonder. Wondering will turn into worrying if you don't watch it. I don't wonder. I know this. If you'll turn your life over to God, God will wreck you in ways that you never thought you could be wrecked, and he'll do things in your life that you never thought a man could do. Come on. That's who he is. Sorry for being so preachy today, but I have it in me. Hallelujah. Jonathan Edwards. John Wesley. Charles Wesley. Y'all ever heard of these men? Anybody ever heard of these men? George Whitfield. Charles Finney. Old D.L. Moody that couldn't write his name on a piece of paper. Big old guy. William J. Seymour. Anybody know William J. Seymour? Raise your hand if you know William J. Seymour. Raise your hand. If you know William J. Seymour, just raise your hand. Look, several people in the room know William J. Seymour. Okay. How many of you have ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Azusa Street Revival. Okay. I'm, I'm going to need to break down. We ought to do a revival series and break down different revivals and what God did. William J. Seymour was an African-American man who fell on his face on Azusa Street in California and prayed that God would move like he was moving in the United Kingdom. The Azusa Street revival didn't start with some preacher spitting at you, pointing his finger like this one does all the time, and screaming at the top of his voice. The Azusa Street Revival started with a small group of people getting in the presence of God and seeking the face of God to do something in the lives of the people in their community. You tell me what God can do in Dixon, Tennessee. Because whatever we set that expectation at, that's what God is going to do in Dixon, Tennessee and the surrounding area that we are in. And I am praying for a supernatural revival and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to wreck everybody, every skeptic out there. The Holy Spirit is going to wreck their world and pour himself out on them. And we're going to experience a move of God like never before. Never before. That's what I believe. You got these men. You got Billy Sunday, who was a professional baseball player and left his career to be an evangelist, or Billy Graham. Anybody know Billy Graham? The people that would preach the gospel. He wouldn't. I don't know if you know how Billy. I know that Billy was part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but I want to tell you, Billy Graham would preach the gospel and make anybody just crawl. Make you want to just get underneath a chair. I mean, this guy would call you out as soon as he could, but he was doing it in a biblical way so that it would challenge the people to become men and women of God, not just fancy little good-looking people that show up to church in their nice dresses and hats on Sunday. Come on. Come on. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 23, all of these guys have one thing in common. Look at it. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. This man had come to Jesus and said, you know, I need uh, uh, my, my, uh, my daughter, I think it was, to be healed. And he said, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You want to know all of those men that I just listed out? You want to know what they had in common? They believed the God of the impossible. They believed that all things are possible to him who believes. They believed that if they would step out by faith, even if it was a remnant of people, that God would show up on their behalf. Eagerly expect, expecting God to do something. Eagerly expecting revival to hit not only their personal lives, but everybody that they come into contact with. I could only imagine what Peter felt on the inside of him as he was experiencing revival in the book of Acts. And when he would walk by people, his very own shadow would heal people. They would have him pray over handkerchiefs, and they would give people handkerchiefs, and when they touched the handkerchief, the anointing and the power of God would heal, set free, deliver. Why do we not see this in the church today? I think there's a verse that we could all go to, especially Christians, if you've been in church world for quite some time in your life. There's this verse that we all go back to in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. But before we go to that verse, I want you to just go there to 2 Chronicles chapter 6 in your Bible. If you're wondering where that's at, it's just right after 1 Chronicles. It's a good church joke. <laughs> All right? But this morning I got up. I, I actually, my wife could testify to this. Something, something I, sometimes on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings, I just can't sleep as well as I can and other times the spirit's just kind of moving in my life. I got up about 1.30 a.m. this morning. Uh, I was just feeling this feeling. I got up. I began to pray. I shut the door to the bathroom. I walked in the bathroom back and forth, and I began to pray and seek and just ask God, and God kept taking me to First or Second Chronicles chapter 6. And when I would go and I, I would think about Second Chronicles chapter 6, I didn't have my Bible. The dadgum dog's kennels in my office. I can't go to my office to get my Bible. He'll wake up at 1.30 a.m. So I eventually I just go, okay, all right. So um, I'm going to go back, lay in the bed. I'm going to get back up. And then as soon as I got back up, I grabbed my phone off the nightstand and I turned on the Bible app and I started in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and I just let it read to me. And I seen that the temple was being built. The temple. Now, the, the temple, this would have been Solomon's temple. The temple in that day would have housed the presence of God. So God would have dwelled in the temple. Well, now in New Testament believers, the Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now his presence does not dwell in, in uh, buildings made by mortal hands, okay, by brick and mortar. His presence showed up to this empty building this morning because you showed up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like this is some sacred place, and I get that people think that auditoriums and sanctuaries are sacred, and that's great, but God's presence doesn't live in the sanctuary. It lives in your heart. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the temple's being built, and then right after the temple is being built, there's this prayer of dedication of this temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and Solomon begins to pray unto God, and he says this, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, God, if your people comes into your presence, into this place, into this temple, and they begin to confess their sins unto you, and he starts naming specific sins, he says, I then want you to forgive them of their sin and, and to cleanse them and do all this 
other type of stuff, right? Well, then I went to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, and it says this. This is the dedication of that temple, okay? So he's praying this prayer. Now he's fixing to dedicate the temple. When Solomon had finished praying, can somebody say that with me? Some of us ain't even started praying. But we want the glory of God to show up. Solomon's at the point that he's just now finishing praying. So once he prayed and he finished, the Bible says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then in all the biblical humor that you could find, you find it in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 7, which I think is pretty humorous because the people who worked in the temple couldn't even go in the temple because the power of the Holy Spirit was in the temple so strong. And it says this in verse 2, And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, and his mercies endure forever. Eagerly expecting God to do something. Went to prayer, in prayer to God, and began to cry out in prayer. And after he finished praying, it didn't say after he finished hanging the last picture on the wall and painting the south building. That's not what he said. All that stuff was put together, but then once all of the physical was put together, the spiritual kicked in. See, I think we're good at church to, to take care of all the physical, but I'm not sure if we're as good at the spiritual as we are the physical. Amen. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. Okay, all right. So here you've got this, and then you finally lead yourself to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And it says this, it says, If my people, if my people, y'all know this verse, right? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Come on, that's a good text right there. Memorize that one because that one is really good. And if we don't watch it, we'll get caught up in quoting the verse without actually seeing what God is instructing within the verse. Because there's four things that we've got to point out there. Because he said if, number one, well, this, this is not number one. Maybe there's five things. If, if is a two-letter word that will unlock a lot of doors in your life. Amen. If will actually lock doors and unlock doors in your life. If you keep hanging around them, you will go places that you don't want to go. That's one side of it. You'll unlock doors that you don't want to get into. We talked about that in week one. But now he's saying, if my people, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his people. Amen. If my people, number one, will humble themselves. You know what that means to me? That Jesus has to be bigger than you in your life. Amen. That's what that means. We've got to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. That's what we got to do. A lot of times what happens is pride puffs up. We actually think that we're something. 
I had a large church pastor, a very large church pastor, set me down one day in his facility out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he said, let me give you one set of advice, just one little thing of advice as you move forward in ministry. And I said, what? And he said, I, I'm hearing the testimonies that's coming out of Dixon, Tennessee, but don't you think in one ounce that any of that is you? Because as soon as you do, you're going to cross over and do a, a, a field called pride. And when you begin to plow that field, if you want to, you'll still grow a church, but it'll crumble because it's built on man, not God. Honor God with everything that you do. Always humbly go before him. You want to know what I have found out about humility? Humbleness makes you hungry. When you get humble, you get hungry. When we get humble, when we get low, we get hungry. If you don't watch it, you'll stay so high, literally, sometimes. There's a bunch of addicts in the room, right? People who have struggled with addiction. If you don't watch it, you get so high that you don't think you need God. But when you get so low that you honor God, you'll be fed in a way that you never thought that you could be fed. He says, you've got to humble yourself. And not only should you humble sh yourself, you should pray. Number two, you should pray. We, we've been in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Today is day 14. I don't want to take much time on it, but can we really seek God the next seven days for a miracle to happen next weekend? Can we all agree to do that? Let's do that together. <laughs> Wednesday night. If you don't know, we have a Wednesday night prayer meeting from 6.30 to 7.30. It's a one-hour prayer meeting. We try not to keep you over an hour. We'll dismiss you at one hour. You don't have to stay around. Actually, you can come in and, and go as you please if you want to. But I want to tell you, this one hour goes by so quick. And this week, you know, I actually talked to another friend of mine, and he said, hey, man, I heard you was doing prayer meetings. I said, yeah. And he said, how many of you got coming to your prayer meeting? And I said, well, uh, this week I personally counted 42 people. And he goes, man, church your size, you only have 42 people? I go, oh, no. Jesus only had 12. Come on. <laughs> he only had 12. We got 42 coming out on a Wednesday, falling down before God and praying and seeking his face and crying out to God. I'm not discouraged of 42 people. I'm encouraged because that number started out with about 15 and now we're up to 42, but I've already told the team, you better get ready because this auditorium, in one day, this auditorium is going to be packed of people that are just coming to prayer meeting. Amen. Just prayer. That's it. We are showing up for tonight. Prayer. Just pray. Just to seek the face of God, which is number three. But let me, let me hit on this prayer thing because I believe God spoke something to me, and I, I wanted to convict our hearts as a church. We've been opening up our doors from 11 to 1 every day during the week, and I understand people work and all that kind of stuff. We've had several people come. I'm not saying that because I'm trying to build attendance during the week. Come if you can come. If you can't, it's fine. We just opened up the room for you, the space. not saying it because of that. I'm saying it because God spoke something to me this week. I came in. I walked through that door like that gentleman is right there. I walked through that door, and I come down. And I, I, I start walking, and as soon as I turn around, I walk through the door, I turn around, and I look. It's about 1235, 
and no one is in here but me. It's just me. Some people come and go, and some people came in a little after, you know, I was in here and all that stuff. But it was a moment between me and God because here's what I felt impressed on my spirit. The Lord said, why is it that you can have full services and empty prayer rooms? How? How is it? I wonder if our priorities at times are a little out of whack. I wonder if we go, well, we don't have time for that. But I've been there before. I haven't had time at times in my life for the things of God, but I sure had time for a two-hour movie on the weekend at the movie theater. I had time to do that. I had time to go out with another couple prior to that. So now we're at three hours. We hung out about 15, 20 minutes talking in the parking lot. I'm three hours and 20 minutes. And the movie I went to said GD 15 times. And I paid $50 to get into the movie theater and $30 for dinner, which is $80 in one day. And I won't give God a dime. Is this okay, baby? C crank up the car, honey. I'm telling you. Let's go. I'm not saying that in a condemning fashion or a way, but I wonder if our priorities are out of whack from time to time. We've got to pray. We've got to seek his face. Seek his face. Number three, when's the last time you sought the face of God? I'm not talking about the hands of God. Y'all catch that one in a minute. I'm talking about the face of God, the glory of God. The presence of God. When's the last time that we have got in the presence of God and said, God, if you, don't, if you don't meet my need, if you don't answer my prayer, if you don't give me that job, if you don't give me that raise, if you don't send that right guy to me, if you don't do any of that, I would care less. I don't need any of that. I just need your presence. Seek my face. See, he's actually giving you requirements. He's saying, hey, you got to humble yourself. You got to get a prayer life. You need to start seeking my face. And then lastly, he says, turn from your wicked ways. And if there's ever a culture that we need to preach this specific message to, it's this culture that we're living in today. We need to turn from our wicked ways. We're not, we're not uh, pointed in the direction uh, even as a church as a whole, Okay. I don't think the church as a whole is pointed in the direction that God wants them to go. Because I think sometimes we're scared to offend people. And if you offend people, they'll leave. And if they leave, then I don't get a paycheck. And if I don't get a paycheck, then I'll have to go back and get a worldly job. Hallelujah. Amen. And we got all of our other priorities and our mindsets all jacked up when we just need to turn from our wicked ways. You know what that really means? Repent of your sin. And you say, well, hey, hold on a minute. I'm a Christian. I, I don't need to repent. I promise you within the first 10 seconds of asking God if there's anything wrong with you, most of us in this room, including this boy up here, would be able to repent of something. Every one of us. Is this right or wrong? And here's what I know. Revival follows repentance. And if we need anything, we need to begin to cry out to God, and we need to begin to say, revive us again, God. Psalm chapter 85, verse 6. Let's read this together just real quick. It says this. It says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? It's a question. 
It's a question that the psalmist was writing in this specific uh, context to God. He was asking, would you not revive us again that we, uh, or that your people may rejoice in, your, in you? You know what that insinuates to me? That the fires went out. I wonder how many people in the room, your fires went out. I could stand behind this pulpit and tell you today, even as a pastor, I've experienced moments and actually periods in my life, even as a pastor, that my fire went out. Has your fire went out? If it has, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Did you hear him? He said, put some more wood on it. That's prayer. That's good. I have you pray, preach one day. <laughs> Revive us again. But how? How are we to get it revived? What's our part? Jesus said this to his followers in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. He said, keep your lamps burning. It was nobody's fault that your fire went out but yours. You quit stoking the fire. You quit putting wood on the fire. Anybody raised in a home that had a fireplace? Yeah, me too. Our, phone, our, our home had a fireplace in such a way that it was our central heat. Have y'all ever seen that? To where it actually the heat goes through air ducts. It's like, it was like this whole furnace system. And we would stoke the fire and we would put the fire. I already know if, if that wheelbarrow full of wood... I can just go back and see that little uh, living room right now with that fireplace with all the little white brick around it. Jill, just imagine with me that red tile. Come on, a 1970s home. It was red tile across the counter underneath the fireplace. And I can remember that two-wheeled wheelbarrow, uh, uh, two wheelbarrow sitting there full of wood. And if I wouldn't grab some wood and put more wood on the fire, then the fire would go out. And sometimes, as a young man, <laughs> who didn't like keeping the fire burning, I'd rather be out in the field or shooting a gun or riding my three-wheeler. Yeah, I'm telling my age now. We didn't have four-wheelers back then. We had three-wheelers. Come on. They done added a wheel these days. I remember going and getting on the three-wheeler when my grandfather would come home from the farm and it was one boy's job to keep the fire going. But the fire would be out. And after a striping or two, and you think I'm kidding, am I telling a joke? My grandfather was rough. He was born in 1921. But after that, he would go to the fireplace, and he would pick this little thing up. What is it? It's a poker. Some of us, we need to allow God to poke us. And what would happen is he would come in, and he would chew me out, you know, in a good biblical way. Bless God, son, hallelujah. I can't believe that your lazy tail would have allowed this. I tell you what, I'm pulling away your gas from your free will of tomorrow. Kind of joking, but kind of not. 
great man of God, great man of God. But I can literally, guys, just let me shut my, my eyes and reminisce just for a moment. I can see my grandfather going and picking up the poker and kneeling down where he was eye level to that fire. That honesty, because of, honestly, because of the fans and the different things, I, I don't even know if there was smoke. I don't know if the, the, it was ventilated out or whatever, but when he would open those doors, it, this only happened about three or four times. I learned my lesson. But when he would open those doors and he would look, I would just be nervous because I didn't let the fire go completely out. And I may make a statement like, uh, Papa, you want me to get the matches? No, sir. No need for the matches. How is he going to start this fire without matches? All of that ash heap had something underneath it. Those red embers that you couldn't see from the surface. See, some of you, you are an ash heap right now. And on the surface level, you look like your fire has went out. But God is here today with a spiritual poker. And he's ready to stir you back up. And here's what would happen. Papa, he'd get there, and he'd start stirring that stuff up. And then I'd see these red coals, and I'd go, wow. And he'd go, give me some killing, son. And to me, I would think, kindling, okay. So if I'm going to use an analogy in a church service, kindling would represent all the little pieces that we feel our life is in right now. Just the shards and the pieces and the splinters. And, the, and he would grab some of that and he'd put it on top and he'd put it on top and he'd do that. And then he'd grab, give, give me a couple logs. Give me a couple logs. Come on. And he'd put a couple logs underneath there and he'd stir it. And then he would get down there really close. And he would say, and as soon as he would do that, fire would come. Have y'all ever seen this happen? You, you got me. Fire would come up, and I would go, wow. And, it, and then just thinking about it, I thought, wow, isn't it the way the Holy Spirit does in our lives? We kind of get away from God, and we get off and left field, and God kind of pulls us back, and he sets us in front of the fireplace and says, what do you think? Oh, my life is just full of, it's falling apart, and I don't know what to do. And he goes, give me your life then. Let me show you what can happen. You think that you're just an ash heap, and I'm done in your life, but let me show you a couple of, whoa, oh, you didn't know that was in you, did you? Okay, I'm just stirring up the gifts of God that's on the inside of you through the laying on the hands of other people. And then... And then God's going to come down and he's going to, and the breath of life and the power and the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to come into your life and flames are going to come back up. And the things that you thought were done, I'm out, I'm over, my light is out, it's no longer out. Now you're on fire again. Revive us again. Kenzie, come on out. Kenzie, revive us Again, look at your neighbor real quick and say, Revive us again. That's it. That's it. How many of you want it? Revive us, God. Would you pray for me? Come on, pray with me today. Revive us, God. Revive us, God. Revive us, God. Under your breath, just say that, God. Revive us, that analogy. 
Oh, some people just feel like an ash heap in this room today. And if they feel like an ash heap, I want you to remind them of the embers that are still burning, the embers that are still just, just glowing in their spirit, God, that even though they've went away, even though they have done things that they shouldn't have done, that you have never left them. You love them. You honor them. You will always be there for them. You have never left us nor forsaken us. We pray right now in the spirit and we pray, Jesus, to revive us again. More than anything, we need your presence. God, if we're really going to see a move of God in this city, in this county, in this region, in this state, in this country, in this world, we are going to have to get serious. Holy Spirit, blow upon your people. Start the fire again. Come on, I'm speaking to somebody today. I'm not talking about just an unbeliever right now. I'm talking about all of us believers who have found ourselves in places that we know we should not be. How did I get here spiritually? And you don't even have to be off in some kind of dirty, crazy sin. I'm just talking about you. You've just left God. You left your first love. You're living your own life. You're doing your own thing. But you're praying a prayer today of revive me again. Revive me again, God. Revive them again. That man, that woman that is praying that prayer right now in this moment, even if they're online, I pray that you revive them again. Holy Spirit, come in and begin to deal with hearts. Begin to deal with the people. God, take us deeper. We no longer want to be shallow, surface. We want to go deeper with you spiritually. Revive us again. And maybe you're in this room and you say, hold on, Pastor. I can't miss this moment. I've never, in the, I've never been set on fire. I, I, I've, I've known who Jesus is. My grandparents taught me about Jesus, or my mom taught me about Jesus, or daddy taught me about Jesus, or my brother taught me about Jesus, and I've heard about Jesus. And heck, to be honest with you, Pastor, I've been coming for three months, four months, five months, and you've taught me about Jesus. But I don't have a personal relationship with him. I don't have this communication piece with him. I feel so far from God. I'm living a life I shouldn't. I've got sins that I need to confess. If that's you today, slip up your hand. Nobody's looking. Slip up your hand. Revival, yes, thank you, thank you. Slip up your hand, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, sir. I see your hands. Pray this prayer with me, everybody that raised their hand. If you're online right now and you're feeling this, every head bows, every eye closes in this room, but I want to tell you right there where you're at, whether you're driving down the road, when you're in a cubicle right now, some of you I just I sense right now you're, you've got tears coming down your face. You're watching, you've got tears coming down your face. You're scared other people maybe in the home or at work is going to see you. Don't you worry about that. This is a God moment for you. God's moving on your behalf. Say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, in this very moment, I confess my sins to you. Become the Lord of my life and use me from this moment on. Thank you 
for reviving me. Thank you for setting me on fire for you. I will serve you to the best of my ability for the rest of my life. Help me because I can't do it without you. But I can do all things through you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap today. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about Compassion Church Dixon, go to our website, CompassionDixon.Church. If you would like to become a monthly financial partner, go to our website and click Give. Join us on Sundays in person or online and be sure to follow us on social media. Also, be sure to share this episode with someone or online and tag us. Until next time.